It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Well, hey there, and welcome to another edition of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Living Worth Wealth Advisors, serving the Lake Country and beyond with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. You can find us online by going to livingworth.com. That's livingworth.com. Brian, great to be with you once again on today's show. How you been, my friend? Doing great. We are settling into summer and uh, I guess making it through the pandemic and riots and we're, we're, we're just trying to figure out what uh, chapter of, of uh, revelations we're in these days. <laughs> it's hard to keep your eye on the ball these days. I will say that. Just trying to keep up with how much is in the news is difficult. Not only is it stressful, but it's just difficult to then focus on other things in life. Sometimes you just have to put the phone away, have to turn the news off and disconnect a little bit. But at the same time, you're going to miss everything if you disconnect. Well, that that and some very big stories have gone relatively unnoticed because there are even bigger stories lurking out there. So crazy time. Well, that's a great point. I'm sure we'll get into some of that as we uh, uncover a few different things on today's episode. That's for sure. Uh, most important update is of all, though, and speaking of big news, the pizza oven. Last update we had, it was at the new house, but uh, are we a while out from that being actually an operational order? Is that going to, are you going to be able to make pizzas this summer? Well, th- this is where I have come up with a good interim solution and where the exchange of ideas can uh, can really pay off. I have a friend who, he, he built a garage for his extra car. He bought a, a, a classic Camaro and, and has a garage and some equipment in there for tinkering with cars and things like that. And he was talking about being able to get one of those pallet jacks. And I don't know if you've ever worked in a grocery store, but in the old days, they had the manual hydraulic pallet jacks that you'd slide up and you'd crank the pallet up and roll stuff around on them. Got some experience with them in uh, my newspaper days and in my my best buy days. Yeah. Okay. Well, today you can go to Harbor Freight Tool and basically buy one of those for two or three hundred dollars. Wait, really? That's it? Yeah. 250, 300 bucks. Nice. And I had built a pallet for the pizza oven when I had it delivered initially out of 4x4 posts and some really heavy-duty deck boards. So I'm going to get the landscaping company to come out and lift my oven back up, and I'm going to slide that pallet under there. And then I can order a pallet jack and just pull it out to the driveway and you know make some pizzas on the weekends. And then <laughs> Very cool. And, until I can get a proper uh, foundation poured in the backyard and... And we've got a steep grade in the backyard, so I've, I've got to bring in some fill, and it, it, it's going to be a bigger project than I want to tackle right now or want to spend money on right now. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I may have found a little uh, stopgap solution so that my poor pizza oven's not just abandoned in the uh, garage. Is summer the best time to—I mean, I, I just sort of made the assumption, but since you're the expert, maybe it's the—maybe uh, it's not, but is summer the best time to— be out making pizza. I figure that's when you get the most people over and you're outdoors and, and you know, having a good time while it's cooking and stuff like that. Walter, there's no bad time to make pizza. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Because <laughs> if it's winter, you can just stand by the oven and get warm, right? For the chef, the, the winter is fine. You can stand right next to that oven and uh, no problem. You, you stay nice and toasty warm. And, and summer is actually, here in Georgia, where it's so hot and steamy, mm-hmm. it, it can be a little uncomfortable. So, uh, you know, winter, fall, and spring, I would say, are probably the best. But... Um, you know, more people are out and able to boat up or, you know, bike over and stuff like that. So it's, yeah, it, it's 
there is no bad time. There you go. I'm going to stick with my, my initial answer. We, we just don't want to miss any summertime pizza opportunities, though, and it sounds like you may be able to salvage some of those, so that's great. I'm I'm missing it, honestly. I, I, we haven't had homemade pizzas in a couple months now. So All right. Well, next— I'm having withdrawal. Next episode or two, we need an update of uh, of, of when the first pizza-making event occurred. And, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll get you a, a photo of the, uh, the, the pallet jack and the, the temporary setup. You, you may be the only person in the country who's got their pizza oven on a pallet jack right now. That's <laughs> how many people could probably say that they've got that going on in their lives at this well, point. I mean, they do make those mobile pizza <laughs> ovens. So, you know, I could have it installed onto a, uh, you know, like a trailer and, yeah. and attach it to the I like the pallet jack, though. That, that's, that's unique. That's unique. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I think that would be one of a kind. Very cool. Well, we, uh, a couple of episodes ago, had a show titled, It's All Greek to Me. And we talked about some of these financial terms and buzzwords um, that all had, you know, were, were Greek letters, essentially. Alpha, mm-hmm. beta, sigma, sharp ratios we threw in the mix as well. That was episode 22, if anybody wants to go back and check that out. We'll consider that kind of part one of this conversation. And today's episode will be part number two of that discussion. So it's all Greek to me, part two. What new directions do we need to take this conversation in? I mean, I loved being able to sing the Greek alphabet for you, uh, you know, on that episode, or maybe it was one of the following episodes when we dove into that a little bit, Brian. But uh, yeah, that's worth going back to for the episode <laughs> alone. That right there that's is right. worth a listen. That's right. So what, uh, what new direction are we taking things in? And it's all Greek to me, part two. Well, you may want to pick up the tune with gamma because the measures that we talked about in the past all relate to the portfolio analytics and the value of picking good investments and investment managers. And Morningstar continued in that tradition of using Greek letters and came up with gamma as a way to quantify or articulate and refer to the value that a good advisor adds to the equation. So th- these are all things beyond the portfolio. And it's, it's been an interesting cu- uh, couple of weeks here, Walter. I've had one client that actually left. And I don't lose clients very often, but I, I, this was a couple I'd been working with for a couple of years. And for some reason, they just uh, you know, sent an email and they were, they were terminating the, the relationship. And at the same time, I've had four new clients come on. Hmm. And so that's caused me to reflect a lot on you know, what went wrong with this one couple that left. And then I've had some very interesting discussions with the new clients that have come on board. And I think it all goes back to really being able to articulate the value that I add as a long-term advisor. And when you get hung up on the portfolio and the market beating returns, and we've been through a a, a volatile market, no doubt, uh, that probably causes people to say, you know, what, what have you done for me lately? What's in this for, uh, you know, justifying this fee if we've had these, these market behaviors? Then on the other hand, the clients that have come on have either had no advisor, they've worked with a robo-advisor. So we've, I've, I've had some really productive and some really interesting conversations but I've had to do a lot of reflecting and articulating of what is the cost of a good advisor and actually being able to answer that question. And so this, uh, this gamma term helps lead us in that direction? Yeah. So my you know, question is, is what is the cost of a, of a good advisor? And unfortunately, it's 
fairly expensive. I mean, it can be uh, pricey to work with someone who is qualified and they've put the you know, time and effort in, into learning all of the different aspects that go into a good financial plan, retirement income plan, w- whatever the scenario is. But I compete with that question with what is the cost of a bad advisor? And there are a lot of advisors out there and there's no regulation on calling yourself a financial advisor, right? There's rules and certifications. You need to be a certified financial planner. That, that's an actual designation, but you can be in a banking environment. You can be in insurance sales. You could be a stockbroker. You could just be an independent fee-only advisor. And there's so much confusion around what a financial advisor is that I like this gamma because it actually shows where we can add value and working with a, a, I'm using air quotes, a bad advisor or someone that misses these points, you may end up with high commissioned products. You may end up with too much of a certain type of product. You may miss other tax strategies altogether. So the cost of a bad advisor or a cheap advisor could be actually more expensive than a good one. It's kind of like and, uh, f- personal training. I can call my cousin Dale over here to you know come help me get in shape, but if he doesn't mm-hmm. really know what he's doing and ends up being a bad advisor or a bad personal trainer, I could injure myself. I could get hurt. Uh, it may just be a, a loss yourself, of time. Get, There's lots of different costs yep. that come into that versus hiring someone who really knows what they're doing to help me get in shape. It's going to cost more in dollars, but to look at the full cost... Well, it may be worth those dollars because I'm going to get great value out of it and actually lose the weight and do it in a healthy way and not get injured. And I may get additional advice like nutrition uh, benefits and help and so many other things that go into it. That reminds me, I actually used to have a very good personal trainer and I I may need to look him back up. (laughs) I've fallen (laughs) off of the wagon myself. So yeah, so true. You, You could end up injured. You could end up not obtaining the actual result that you want versus you know, feeling good and energetic and having, you know, extended longevity and, and act activity. That, that, that's a very good point. So good advisor, bad advisor, no advisor at all, costs to all of these things. And now we kind of start turning this page toward this gamma word. And don't let that be intimidating, even though it's part of the alphabet soup that we've talked about on the last couple of episodes. But it's going to help kind of give us some guardrails, give us some de- definitions to understanding these costs. Yeah, or, or hopefully a way of quantifying them. It, it's a little bit hard to do, but there's some research into this, and I'll put a number to it eventually. But yeah, we're, we're just trying to say, if there's this cost to having a good advisor, what's, what's the return that I'm going to get above and beyond just a portfolio or investment solution? And to be clear, last time we were really talking about with the other elements of this alphabet soup, this Greek alphabet soup, we were really measuring individual investments and their performance, not this full picture of an advisor. And that's the big difference between the last episode and this one. Correct. So value of good investments, value of good investment managers, and uh, how well you optimize market volatility and and exposure. So very traditional uh, quantitative approaches to running a portfolio. And let me make this one point because this, this is very important to understand. That world of investments and investment managers is what you call a zero-sum game. Somebody wins and somebody loses. If you have the entire universe of investments or investment managers, there are people that outperform the index, there are those that match the index, and there are those that underperform the index. 
Well, if you're the fortunate one who has picked the outperforming investments, by its very nature, someone else has picked the market underperforming investment. So it's a coin toss whether, you know, which side of that metric that you're going to be on. And for every winner, there is a loser. And there's no guarantee, there's no crystal ball that you can promise someone that you're going to be on the winning side of that. Whereas gamma is actually available to everyone. All of the, the, the variables that go into good financial planning and good financial planning decisions and, and the application of those doesn't matter if you outperformed or underperformed the market a little bit. There is a tremendous amount of value that can be had, dollars that can be brought to the bottom line by following these non-portfolio management approaches. And that is what adds to or quantifies the value of a good advisor, if that makes sense. I think it does. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, I know that there's going to be some more more detail here to take us through this, Brian. And so I'm looking forward to what's the best way to understand this? Is it is it through examples or hypotheticals? Or how do you plan on taking us through understanding this term, gamma? Well, I, uh, I can give you some statistics and, and numbers. I can get, I'm going to outline the five most common factors that go into calculating or, or quantifying gamma. But yeah, stories are usually the best way because everybody's circumstances and situations are a little bit different. And so what, depending on when someone walks in, where they're at in life, are they still accumulating? Have they already retired? Have they begun withdrawals? Are they in required minimum distribution mode? You know, all of those things will drive or dictate what options they have available. But um, yeah, I've, I've got some stories we can use to illuminate those. But as a jumping off point, so if you want to know right now, what, what's the, the value, calculated value of a gamma optimized portfolio? Well, the research shows that you can get about a 22.6 improvement. And so the simple question I would ask you in, say, going into retirement, would you rather have $100 or would you rather have $122? It's an easy one to answer. One, yeah. 122, yeah. It didn't take a math degree to, yeah. to, to figure that one out. So where, where do we go to get all of this value and all of these savings and, and strategy? Well, everyone that has been hyper-focused on market-beating returns and think that the only way they're going to meet or exceed their goals is by beating the market, I have great news. So this, this is available to everyone, and this dramatically increases the likelihood of success, and that being not running out of money in retirement, being able to achieve your goals and the things that you'd like to do, and uh, you know, possibly leave some money to uh, your heirs and beneficiaries. All right. So I like that you bring the facts and the figures first. We'll start with the, the scientific method, if you will, and then get some good stories and info out of you. So I think it makes sense. The $122 versus the 122.6% improvement by having this gamma-optimized portfolio all right, so take us a little bit further into that number, right? Because it's easy to throw out, okay, well, it's you know, 22% better if you do X, Y, and Z. But what goes into that 22% number? How do we get there? Well, it's going to vary whether you're actually retired and in income and distribution mode. I would say that that is the group that's going to be most impacted by this. But those who are still in accumulation mode, they're working in their savings, they actually have time to engineer 
the tax exposures that they're going to have in the future. And I had an interesting conversation yesterday. Some people are using the penalty-free circumstances that we're in with the coronavirus to actually pull some money out of retirement accounts, and they're going to go ahead and absorb the tax bill because they don't have the penalty. And so these are all people that are pre-59 and a half and uh, move those assets to other account types because the the writing's going to be on the wall that you know higher taxes are are in our future. So there are some things that uh, that you can do if you're in a, in accumulation mode. But let me let me start with the the actual five uh, components of this. And number one is asset location and withdrawal sourcing. Now that's our, that's Morningstar's wording right there. Well, if you go back to past episodes of the podcast and there's one called Right Stuff, Right Place. We've talked about this in detail before. And this is really about getting the right types of investments in the right types of accounts. And then when you're in distribution mode, which accounts are you going to pull from? As we stand today, a dollar taken out of a Roth, a dollar taken out of a regular IRA, and a dollar taken out of a regular brokerage portfolio, and and maybe that comes in the the form of a dividend or a long-term capital gain, all of those are taxed differently. And getting the flexibility to control which account type you want to pull from so that you can optimize the income that you receive in these incremental tax brackets can be worth thousands of dollars. I mean, it, it, it can make a tremendous difference if you need uh, liquidity or a lump sum. I meet a lot of people who are waiting until, well, it used to be 70 and a half, and now with legislation that just passed, the required minimum distribution age has been extended to 72. Well, a lot of people think, hey, I'm just going to wait until 72. Why do I want to pay taxes now when I can delay those? they're missing a lot of good years where they could be pulling money out of their IRAs at potentially, you know, 10 and 15% marginal brackets. And I have met plenty and have had plenty of conversations with clients who waited until 70, 70 and a half to start their required minimum distributions. And then if the market performed well and their portfolio increased and their, as they age, life expectancy goes down, I've talked to some grumpy 80-year-olds who are take, forced to take very large distributions that now, at a time when they say, hey, I don't even need the money right now, I'm being forced to take it out and pay higher taxes on that. Well, I had a very good success story with a, a client that was 62, hadn't started Social Security yet. I said, hey, let's go ahead and start pulling some money out of IRAs. Boy, I got a very puzzled and and quizzical look about it. And I said, no, bear with me. Just watch this. And I, I explained how this worked. And for a number of years, we we pulled an extra, you know, several tens of thousands of dollars out of IRAs and went ahead and paid taxes at the 15% tax bracket. Well, fast forward about six years, they're interested in moving to a continuing care uh, residential community. And those have a big upfront cost to get in. Well, they were selling the house that raised some money, but fortunately, we had piled up these early distributions from the IRA into a brokerage account, and we had a lump sum available to pay the admission fee without having to take a giant amount out of the IRA at one time 
which would have kicked them up into a top tax bracket. And it would have, I mean, that, that literally is tens of thousands of dollars uh, of, of advantage by just doing some earlier withdrawals from an IRA. It's a long answer, but it's right stuff, right place, and taking it out of the, the right accounts at the right time. So that, and that's just kind of factor number one, right? You mentioned there are five factors that go into this. So just asset location and withdrawal sourcing being one of the five factors, but it gets deeper and more nuances throughout this. I, I think each one of these five could generate its own 50-page white paper. <laughs> <laughs> if, we, if we really wanted to get into the nitty and gritty. But we're not going to go there, right? That's right. So, okay. So, uh, yeah, asset location with withdrawal sourcing is, you know, like, like I said, just getting the right stuff, the right account structures, and, and the right withdrawal strategy. Those are the big components of it. The next one they, to- they call total wealth allocation. And th- that's not a very illuminating title, but this really focuses on the, both the ability and the need to assume risk. Traditionally, when you engage with a a brokerage or investment uh, strategy, they'll give you a risk tolerance questionnaire. Have you ever filled one of those out, Walter? Yeah, risk risk tolerance questionnaire. Yep, sure have. Yeah, how how, how much risk can you tolerate? Mm -hmm. Well, the two things that can go wrong with that. One, you may be able to tolerate a lot of risk. And if I then expose you to it and the market goes down dramatically, we never really ask the question, do you need that much risk. It may have been entirely possible that you didn't need to take that much risk. And now we've exposed you to a cataclysmic market event and you had no need. So just because you have a high tolerance doesn't mean you have a high need. The flip side of that is you may be very risk averse. Oh, I can't, I I don't want to lose any money. I'm going to, you know, bury it all in the backyard and in mason jars. But if you're going to enjoy the extended longevity that and lifespans that people are enjoying today, if you want to be able to handle the rising cost of healthcare and long-term care, you may well need some riskier growth assets that you can put in place today, but they're not going to impact your, your lifestyle or your uh, standard of living in the short run. There's, there's other ways to address that. But in 15 or 20 years, we want to make sure that you have enough growth to protect from inflation or rising healthcare costs or what, whatever may be lurking in the future. And so a lot of these rules of thumb about asset allocations and you know, how much risk you should or shouldn't have, a lot of that's getting turned on its head by, uh, by, by extended longevity and, and rising costs in old age. So making sure that you, if you have a risk aversion, you may need to rethink it and come at it from a different approach so that, that, that you can feel comfortable taking the risk that you may, may, may well actually need to take or not need to take. So that, that's really what that's all about is just optimizing how much risk you need versus how much you can tolerate. I think that's an interesting discussion because sometimes you may feel one way about risk and taking risk, but it may not necessarily still match up with what you should be doing. Just because you are a riskier person by nature, you could still be out of whack with what you really need to have in terms of your allocation because it just may, you know, those two things can still be out of alignment, right? Yeah. And and a big, a whole nother podcast can be sequence of returns and, and how a 
lower volatility portfolio in distribution mode may actually get you a better long-term result than a more growth-oriented portfolio. So it's, it's really about standard deviation. We want to go back to our, the last episode. Uh, it, this is really about managing standard deviation. What about uh, the third factor? So we had asset location and withdrawal sourcing. Total wealth allocation was number two. What's the third factor? Okay, everybody's going to have a stroke when I mention this word. Uh And uh, just as a teaser for a future episode, we've lined up a very excellent guest to come help us with this topic in depth from a a very practical uh, educational standpoint rather than a, a sales approach. But this is annuity allocation. Oh, I've heard annuities are terrible. Oh, I've heard awful. The, I the, googled the annuities. Word. The A word. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's it, it. You want to make people run? Uh, just just say the word annuity. Even clients that I've worked with for ever who you know really trust me and and want uh, advice for maybe the a child that's going to inherit some money. And I you just mentioned that word. They say, oh, that, that's a terrible word. But what? What this really gets at is longevity risk. The statistic is 61% of retirees fear running out of money compared to just 39% who actually fear death. And that's a probably a fair you know, concern. I mean, if, if you're running out of money late in retirement, there's not a whole lot that you can do to, to fix that. And so that's where, obviously, Social Security is a big program that was put in place to help address the issue of poverty in, in the retirement generations. But annuities can actually pay for and provide continuing cash flow independent of the market and your portfolio and, and all of those other factors. So if fear of running out of money is a concern, and, and clearly it is for most, a small allocation to an annuity can actually increase the longevity of your portfolio and your probability for success in retirement. I am not suggesting that you need to put all of your money into annuities. So if you go to one of these free steak dinners and uh, sign up for this or that seminar that, that promises to solve all your problems, if they're suggesting that annuities are the solution for your retirement, for all of your money, uh, that free steak dinner could be the most expensive steak dinner of your life. That's kind of getting back to the the cost of maybe a bad advisor if they are uh, kind of anything that's a one-size-fits-all or silver bullet scenario. Take that with a really big grain of salt, right? Yeah, and, and uh, let me just, w- without getting, we'll get into this into a future episode, but there, there's also three different types of annuities. There's immediate, deferred, and variable. And they are all completely different animals and there's the the variables I would say almost categorically are not what you should be considering. The immediate is a little more uh, boring and it's it's a hard equation for people to comprehend, but put in the context of a longer term plan, when you show what it does for creating an income floor, uh, that that's where I see people adopt and and get comfortable with the with the concept. But there's a whole education process that goes into understanding annuities. I have spent more hours teaching people about the annuities that they bought from another broker that got paid a large commission for selling it. And the the people didn't understand what they had, how it worked, how all the benefits worked. They misunderstood the guarantees. 
and and I have spent hours and hours educating uh, clients on what they've they've bought and which part of it is fact and in which part of it is is fiction. So I understand the the concern. I understand the toxicity of of the word uh, because there is there are a lot of bad actors out there in this space. But from a financial planning perspective, there may be a very legitimate role for some form of an annuity as a portion of a portfolio as far as extending the you know longevity and and success of your uh, retirement plan. So we have asset location and withdrawal sourcing, just to recap, total wealth allocation, annuity allocation being number three, and we're we're talking Mm -hmm. about longevity risk as being the main concern there, and looking forward to that future episode, by the way. Uh, What's the fourth of these five factors? All right. This one's called dynamic withdrawal strategy. As the name suggests, dynamic means changing withdrawal strategy. It maybe is a, a more plain English way to put it. And most of the calculations and distribution projections done are done on a straight line. Okay, I have a million dollars. I'm going to take 4% out per year. I'm going to increase it for inflation. And I'm just going to continue on that trajectory no matter what happens. Well, what we talked about actually in, in a past episode called Fund the Fun Fund, we did that one real early on. That's right. If you separate out your cost of living expenses and, and draw a baseline, but then figure out what you know fun or extra or specific goals that you have, once the, that baseline has been funded, now we have a trajectory that we can measure against to say, hey, you've got enough money to maintain your uh, standard of living through retirement. You've got your emergency and long-term care uh, fund funded. Yeah, you've got a little bit of money in the mattress just in case a you know a doom and gloom or pandemic you know sweeps the nation. You're you're prepared, and and now here's the amount that you have left over. And once you've been through that exercise, you can say, okay, I do want to allocate a certain amount of money to fun travel, taking the kids on a Disney cruise, whatever whatever it may be. But having that baseline and then the ability to change if the market doesn't cooperate. So in the years that the market has pullbacks or sell-offs and you're you're falling behind your your goal, the the calculated goal, you retain the ability to cut back your withdrawal in those years when the market doesn't cooperate. But on the flip side, if we do the math early on, we've calculated the glide path uh, that your portfolio should or needs to take over time. And we can always go back and reference that. And if you are exceeding the goal, this gives you a sell discipline. And this is what most people don't have. When the market's going well, the statements are coming in, everybody's feeling good. Guess what they don't want to do? They don't want to sell. And that is exactly when you should be refortifying cash, replenishing the fund fund, and all of this comes back to behavioral finance. And what my job is, is to get people to do what they don't want to do. And what they don't want to do is buy low and sell high. They fear and despair when the market's down and they want to bail out. I have to convince them to stay. And I have to have a plan in place that allows them to stay put. When the market's doing great and everybody's getting rich, I can't pry the stocks out of their hands. But I have to say, hey, this is 
you're exceeding your goal. Here's the calculation. Here, remember the fund fund. We're, we're going to go back and refortify that or your cash reserve, whatever it is. So this actually, it puts a uh, metric in there so that clients can know when they should curtail or hold off on some spending or when we can green light and permit extra spending. And, and so it's a dynamic withdrawal strategy. All right. We've covered four of the five. I know that one is uh, that one was fun. I remember the fun, the fun fund <laughs> episode, uh, which was you know. Say th- Whenever I put that line into the financial plan, I call I, I get a chuckle out of everybody. I'm like fun, the, the fun, fun, fun fund. Say that five times. And they're like, fast. oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, what's the fifth metric or the fifth factor that we look at in this uh, gamma calculation? Are you ready for this one, Walter? Oh, uh, I I hope so. <laughs> Liability relative optimization. Whew. Doesn't that clear things right up for you? Yeah, so that's a word salad right there. Uh, LRO. Can we shorten it to that? LRO? Sure, sure. Why not? <laughs> I, I, no, no objection here. Th- this is a fancy way of saying accounting for all of the risks beyond the portfolio and, and things that we've talked about. So this is inflation, currency risk, hedging strategies. Uh, one example may be that you, we talked about risk a minute ago. Well, a barbell type approach to your portfolio where you actually have more stocks than you, your rule of thumb may suggest that you should have, and you may have more cash than you might need for, say, your six-month emergency fund. And so that, that dumbbell approach where I've got extra cash on hand, but I've got a, a larger allocation to my long-term growth strategy that would give you the safety and security that you need to get through, maybe it's five years, maybe it's 10 years, so that you can allow those other long-term investments to work. So that cash works like a hedge so that in down markets, in bad times, you have the, the confidence and, and security of knowing, hey, I, you know, I can pay the bills, here comes the monthly distribution to my checking account, and we've calculated how many years that can hold up. And uh, we don't have to pay too much attention to what the stock market is doing for potentially years or, or even a, a decade. And, and then the other thing that uh, merges in or, or maybe is a, a tangent to this topic is, you know, what is the best social security claiming strategy? What is the best approach for health care and long-term care funding? There are all these programs out there that, uh, you know, I've, we, we talked about beneficiary designations on IRAs. We, we, we talk about wealth transfer and estate planning. There can be significant liabilities, risks, fluctuations that occur out there in, in changing legislation. All of this, I think, gets lumped into this, this final one. And it's really just about making sure that you've added in these additional factors Besides, again, just going back to, did my portfolio beat the market this month, this quarter, this year? Are we really accounting for all of these risks that, that you could face you know, over the, the, the duration of your retirement? Well, I think all of these are great to kind of analyze and see. I'm just curious if you can tell us, Brian, you know, this gamma number. I think when we covered a lot of the, you know, the alpha and the beta and some of the other things when we were looking at individual investments, they had an actual 
number that came with them. You know, it's a, it's a 1.04 or a 2.5 on a scale of, you know, whatever the scale would be, a 0 mm-hmm. to 10 scale. It, it, does the gamma break down that way? Is there a number that gets assigned after you break all these things down? I realize some of these things become a little subjective. So is there a number you're, you end up with? How do you really analyze that gamma number? Walter, you do not want to see the mathematical okay. <laughs> equations that go along with this. <laughs> if you want to, I do have a uh, about a third. Let's see, this is a uh, twenty-eight page uh, report followed by a supplemental forty-page report just on portfolio uh, gamma that that Morningstar has put out. So if you're if you're an engineer and you want to absorb all this in detail. Uh, the math and the formulas are out there, but here's how it breaks down. If, if you look at that base income of $100 that we talked about at the beginning, we mentioned an additional $22.63 worth of benefit. And that all breaks down to the, uh, the following categories. Asset location and withdrawal sourcing is $3.23 of that. Total wealth asset allocation is $6.43 of that. The annuity allocation will add $1.44. Dynamic withdrawal strategies, this is the big one. It's worth $9.88 of additional benefit. And the liability relative investing is $1.65. So if you want to see the actual breakdown of what each one of these strategies is worth, clearly some are bigger and more important than others. But, but combined, that's how the $22.63 breaks out. Fascinating. So who really needs to be paying attention to the gamma? I mean, who, who's, who should have their ears perked up or their eyes in tuned for, you know, looking at this and, and evaluating these different factors and trying to really make this an important part of their planning process? Well, I, I would say retirees and people in income and distribution mode absolutely need to pay attention to this. If you are an accumulator and you're sticking money into your 401k and dollar cost averaging, that is a more forgiving time. But if you want to be fully prepared when you reach retirement, and given what the tax horizon looks like, you ought to be diversifying your tax exposure just like you would diversify your portfolio. You would not put all your eggs in one basket, nor should you put all of your eggs in one basket tax structure. And by that, I mean Roths, IRAs, regular brokerage accounts, cash value life insurance, long-term care. These all have different tax treatments. And if you're able to fund all of those, you absolutely should be looking at ways to get money in all those different tax buckets. If, if you can't and you're just, max, you're just trying to get the, the match on your 401k, I mean, you know, keep, keep plugging away at that by all means. But uh, above and beyond that, those are the, the, the big categories of people that can benefit the most from, from paying attention to this. Very cool. Well, this has uh, been educational. I've enjoyed our second trip down the Greek alphabet, um, you know, walk and, and getting that alphabet soup figured out. So much to learn and absorb over these last couple of episodes. Any good final parting thoughts or uh, words of wisdom to kind of leave us with on today's episode for absorbing all this and helping us understand it? Yeah. So to wrap up, if you are intrigued by any of these topics and you want to know, or maybe asking yourself, can I benefit from working with a financial advisor? We have created a quiz, a little online quiz, 10 question quiz that are yes or no questions. And you can get to that on our website, livingworth.com. 
and scroll down and find the take the retirement mindset quiz. And if you answer yes to two, three, four or more of those questions, we may be able to help you in in many ways. So go go check out livingworth.com, find the uh, retirement mindset quiz and uh, submit your answers to that. If you score, if, if you say no to all 10 questions, you probably don't need a lot of help. You're, you're in great shape. If you answer yes to, to several of the questions, there's probably some areas, lurking questions or concerns that you have uh, that we could shed some light on too. So that, that would be a great place to, to start. Absolutely. It's at livingworth.com. And again, you'll be able to find it very easily there on the homepage, but we're also going to put a link directly to it in the description of today's show to kind of give you a little shortcut and make it even faster for you to find where that quiz is. Great kind of way to dip your toe in the water and start learning a little bit more about how you are structured, your own financial situation, some of the things you can improve going forward so that you as well can make the dough rise for your situation. Brian, thanks for all the help on the Gamma Conversation today and also a preview of some pretty interesting episodes that I think are on the horizon. Looking forward to digging into some of those as well. And uh, we appreciate everything. Good luck with the pizza oven over the next couple of weeks and uh, the, the pallet <laughs> the pallet roller <laughs> and uh, all of those excursions too. We appreciate all your help. Yeah, I'll keep you posted on the progress. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to, to the future ones. There's a lot here. Looking forward to more stories on that front. Again, go to livingworth.com if you want to take that quiz. And if you have any questions and you want to get in touch the old-fashioned way, of course, you can reach out to Brian at any time at 706-451-9800. That's 706-451-9800. Thanks for joining us on today's show. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Make the Dough Rise. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.